feel like this is a divine setup this morning. Um, sometimes you find yourself in a moment, <clears throat> you're going to have to apologize, I'm going to have to apologize, you're going to have to excuse me this morning. Um, sometimes you find yourself in a moment and you just know it's a divine setup. <clears throat> and I just feel like that this morning. I love this church and I love Craig and Becky. And, but something has shifted in this space since the last time I was here. And I don't know, because sometimes you see when you're in the middle of something, you don't realize it. It's like the, the temperature's rising and you don't even know it's happening. But then when somebody like me steps out and then steps back in, it's like, what has gone down here? And, and I sense in this space right now, uh, a spiritual hunger reawakening. And I also sense the Spirit of God responding to that hunger. And that, that needs to not be taken lightly. You've got to steward this moment well. Um, I sense his presence so thickly and tangibly here today. That's actually, like, sometimes it's hard to preach when you sense that because he's just, I just want to lie on that floor in my face before him because he is high and holy. But at the same time, I can't because I really feel like God has sent me to say something specific today. And it was confirmed um, this morning when I, you guys started worship. Is Stephen, is that your name? Becky said your name is Stephen. That's not a prophetic gift. I didn't know your name was Stephen prophetically. <laughs> I just sent your name Stephen. Am I right? No, no, not that. We're not into that round here. Uh, Stephen, I actually laughed when you started this morning. Not at you. So I hope you didn't take offense. Not at you. Because I, um, like, I don't love the song, Spirit, when you fill the room, your heart pounds and all. I, I'm going to be honest, I don't love that song. I've had a discussion with God about that. And yet when I was, and this is going good, don't worry, it's, it's good ending. Because that's just personal preference, all right? Guys, you know what? You see if somebody leads a song you don't like, sing it anyway because Jesus is worthy and it's, that's just personal preference, all right? So, um, and yet when I was preparing, I could not get that song out of my head. And I was like, if I was to have one song sung this morning, that would be the song I would want. Because I just felt the Lord is on this phrase, come rest on us. And actually, before the team started playing, I was standing, Becky can testify if she was listening to me, I was standing before they started playing, I didn't know what they were going to sing, and I was singing that refrain, come rest on us, come rest on us, that's the wrong key. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be on your team, so you'll be glad about that. But I was just singing it, and then you guys started to sing it, and I was like, all right, this is divine setup. Here we go. So... It's going to feel very weird to you that I want to talk to you about Sabbath, because that doesn't sound like anything I just said, but it is. It, it absolutely is. And I want to talk to you about Sabbath because I felt God direct me to do that with you this morning, but even if he hadn't, it would still, it would still make sense to do that. And this is why, um, you know the phrase, pick your battles? Often used when you're raising toddlers or teens, pick your battles. <laughs> it's like the best advice you can give to a teen parent or a toddler parent, pick your battles because you can't, you can't die on every hill. So you've got to choose the things that matter and fight on those. And, I, and that phrase is important because Jesus had to pick his battles and he actually died on the hills of the battles that he picked. Because I want you to think about the fact that Jesus is perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God. He's the only human who is without sin. So his, his, his motivation, his actions, his thought life, his words, perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. And he enters into a world that is deeply compromised by sin. 
and he is deeply aware of that sin. And not just the sin that everybody else is aware of, that everybody can see, but Jesus can see into the motivation of hearts. Multiple times he calls out the motivation of hearts. So we can also see that when something can look good, but there's sin buried in the heart and it's coming from a deeply dark place, but it looks really good to everybody else. It's fooling everybody and not fooling Jesus. Jesus is deeply aware of the, the, the rampantness of sin throughout the environment he steps into. And so Jesus has to pick his battles because Jesus can't stop and call out every single thing that's happening all the time or he would never, like it would literally be, that would all he would be doing, you know? Because Jesus is aware of all of the sin and so Jesus picks his battles. And what's fascinating to me is one of the things that Jesus continues to fight over time and time again in the New Testament, Sabbath. It's like, why that hill? And actually, when we're talking about hills we're willing to die on, Sabbath is, his, his actions on the Sabbath is one of the things that will propel him into his crucifixion. That's one of the things that the, the, the rulers who will call for his execution, that's one of the things that riles them the most. And he keeps going at it over and over again. I'm like, why that hill? Why is that the one that really matters to you among some other things? Why is that so important? And so it's really important for us to ask questions about Sabbath. Sabbath's really, really important. And I don't know what kind of ideas that the word Sabbath conjures up for you. Maybe you've never heard the word before. If you haven't, let me give you an overarching definition. Sabbath is like a, it, typically in our tradition, it's a 24-hour period that's set aside wholly onto the Lord one in every seven days. Typically, a lot of people celebrate that on Sunday, but not exclusively so. I don't celebrate my Sabbath on a Sunday because I work on a Sunday. Um, but it's a day that's set aside where we rest from our work, and, and, and it's a day given up to devotion, to worship, to delight. The 24-hour period, one in seven. Really, really important to Jesus. But I don't know what Sabbath brings up for you whenever I say that, because maybe that like strikes horror into you. Maybe you grew up in really deep legalism and you weren't allowed to hardly breathe on sabbath you were afraid of like displeasing god if you like move too far to the left for me sabbath makes me think of um spaghetti bolognese and flannel graph you did not expect that sentence to come out of my mouth right now i'd like to keep you on your toes spaghetti bolognese and flannel graph i grew up in a church a family and when i say a church family i don't need a family who came to church on sunday i mean a family who were deep in like they were deep in the church life like sunday was church and so, like, my dad often drove a minibus that went and picked people up who couldn't drive before service. So we were in early so he could go out on the minibus run. And then there was the 11 o'clock service, and we were in that. And then our parents uh, cleaned the communion cups afterwards. So we were there afterwards for the communion cups. And then they were both Sunday school teachers, and that was at 3 o'clock. So we had to get back for 3 o'clock for Sunday school. And then we also had nighttime service, which we were absolutely going to be at, which sometimes the minibus run had to be done for again. So spaghetti bolognese was all the time my mother had. Like, it's not, like, there was no roast getting cooked in our house on a Sunday. So we always had spaghetti bolognese on a Sunday because it's all we had time for to feed this plethora of children she had birthed. So spaghetti bolognese was our vibe. And flannel graph, give me a wave if you know what I mean when I say flannel graph. Oh, look, you are my people. I say bring it back. Hope kids, if you're listening, the flannel graph needs to come back. For those of you who were not blessed with this upbringing, flannel graph is basically Christian fuzzy felt. That's what it is. 
it's like a map because my dad was like a Sunday school teacher he had this massive big folder and I loved it full of flannel graph pages so that he could cut little characters out and as he told the stories he could move them about the board bring it back it needs to come back see when it comes back next year some American celebrity brings back flannel graph you're going to say you heard it here first but we Charlotte said that was coming that was her prophetic gift working right there and so oftentimes on a Sunday, as we were eating our spaghetti bolognese, I would have been throwing a sheet, a sheet of sheep to cut out with like a bendy pair of like old nail scissors that somebody had found because my dad needed them for like the hundred sheep that needed to be on the board that, that day. So spaghetti bolognese and flannel graph, everybody has different starting points. My interest is not that. It's not your starting. But my interest is God's starting point. If Jesus is fighting for something, what is he fighting for? And what's scripture telling us he's fighting for? And actually, there was a moment just this year where I saw something I'd never seen before around this. If it's old news to you, I apologize. And also ask you, why did you not come tell me? Because this is cracker. I saw something in Sabbath I hadn't seen before. And I want to I give, give it to you today for your consideration, for you to think about, for you to weigh up the evidence that I'm going to produce for you today and, and, and come to a decision yourself about what you think. Because our practice of Sabbath is, is, is originally birthed in the Genesis story. No surprise, I'm always in Genesis. In the Genesis story. But I want to read to you a couple of verses to get us kicked off on a bit of a journey. We're going to go right from Genesis to Luke today. All right, we're going to stop in a few places in between. Standard Charlotte. Everybody on the train, everybody buckled in, let's go. Genesis 1 says this in Genesis 1, 31. And can, as an aside, when you're reading your Bible, the chapters that are there, that is an afterthought. That was not, the chapter divisions are not in the original text. They're put there to help you navigate the scripture. So it's real wisdom for you to read from one chapter into the next, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Genesis one thirty one. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. It was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day, and thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array, and by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, the word rested there in the original Hebrew is from the word Shabbat, which makes perfect sense, doesn't it, when we talk about Sabbath, because it comes from that word too, Shabbat. And it's this idea of ceasing, desisting, stopping work, okay? So that is, if that's what you've grown up understanding Sabbath as, that, that makes a lot of sense. That is 100% a huge part of what Sabbath is. Resting from our work, ceasing, desisting, stopping the labor of the week for a 24-hour period. So the word here, Shabbat, means that. It means to rest from. We worked and then we rested from our work. We ceased, desisted, stopped working. All with me so far? Cool. Except when God starts to talk about this moment, whenever he delivers the commandment of Sabbath, so when the Ten Commandments are given to Moses, among them is this commandment for the people to keep Sabbath. So it's not just a God thing, It's birthed in the Genesis story, but now there's a commandment coming to you and I that will track throughout church history about keeping Sabbath. And when God says about keeping Sabbath and refers back to this incident, he uses a different word for rest. And I find it really interesting. So if you've got your Bible still open, let's just flip over a couple of pages to Exodus to that moment. And we're going to be in Exodus 20. And this is what it says, just a few pages over in Exodus 20, verse 8. 
Oh, I love the sound of Bible pages being flipped over. It's my favorite. Exodus 20. I wonder, can you get a ringtone for that on your phone? Be so good. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animal nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So let's just pause for a brief second there. So ceasing and desisting from work, still a huge part of the story. Resting from our work, still a huge part of the Sabbath story. But let's see what happens next. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Different word for rested. The word that's used here for rested, when God looks back at that Genesis moment, is the word nuak. It comes from the Hebrew word nuak. And that's interesting to me because while no doubt tied up in that word is also this idea of resting from, it's a richer, wider word than that. And I want to suggest to you there's another way to read this word. Because this word in this text, in fact, in this actual book of Exodus, when this word nuak is used underneath our English word for rested, does not just mean to rest from, it means to rest on. Let me explain the difference from that. If I've been working in the garden all day, because I love my garden, I can rest from my work, but I might rest on a bench. I'm putting my weight on something. I'm resting on something. That's different to resting from. And this word, nuak, can be used both ways. And I want to propose to you is being used both ways in this passage. Because in Exodus already, when this word is used, nuak, it's used to talk about resting on. In fact, in scripture thus far up to this point, when the word nuak is used, it means to rest on. So, for example, it's used when the ark rested on the mountain. Nuak is the word. Rested on, not resting. It's not rest. The ark's not resting from something. It's resting on. It's putting its weight on something. It's resting on something. In Exodus, before this moment, we see the locusts rest on. On the land, same word. The locusts aren't resting from the land. They're putting their weight on, they're touching down. They're resting on the land. I think that's really interesting. And then as you track this word on through the Old Testament, you're going to see it used multiple times of God's activity. Not just an ark resting on, not just locusts resting on, but there are going to be moments where this word is picked up and the spirit is going to rest on something. So what you're going to find over in, let me find it for you, in Numbers, uh, this little phrase, Numbers 11, God's talking to Moses and it says this in Numbers eleven twenty-five. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, that's Moses, and he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him, Moses, and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, Nuak, they prophesied. When the spirit, re- when the spirit settled on them, like you rest on a seat, on a bench, on a mountain, on some land, the spirit comes and rests on them. I find that really interesting because then when we flip over to Isaiah, we're going to see the same phrase used as Jesus has prophesied. And this is what it says in Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will 
rest, nuach, on him. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord because the spirit's resting on him. So we carry this word all the way through and we're talking about the spirit resting on on and we know when that fulfillment happens we see it with our very own eyes and look don't we when this one that's been prophesied Jesus goes down under the water and he comes up and this voice booms from heaven this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and then the spirit descends and rests on him like a dove I want you to take all of that okay we've been on a bit of a journey already here but I want you to take all of that All that we've learned about this word, this fulfillment of this as the spirit comes and rests on the one that comes after this declaration of delight. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and the spirit comes and rests on him. And I want you to carry all of that information back with you into Genesis. And I want you to notice what's happening there. That God is creating and creating and creating and then he makes this declaration of his delight. He saw it was very good. And then we discover in Exodus, in that moment, God doesn't just rest from his work, but he rests on his work. He comes and he dwells on the thing that he has created. And it is a foretaste and a precursor and a a moment for our eyes to open to note that God is always going to do this. That God doesn't just, he, he, he wants to rest on the places of his delight. That all throughout scripture, we're going to see these moments where, where God doesn't just hover above, but he comes and he rests in the camp. He sits in the tabernacle. He comes into the temple. And eventually the story will end up where you and I become the temples of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit will rest on us because the Spirit will not just be poured out on a few elders or on the Son of God, but on us where the Spirit will come and will rest on us because the spirit wants to rest on the thing that in which he delights and there's something about sabbath right caught up in the middle of this there's something about sabbath where sabbath understood that way becomes a day of delight that drives out our insecurity because on that day we don't just remember that god rested from but the story the whole story reminds us that god also rests on us And the reality is you and I live in a world where our confidence is kicked out of us six days of the week. But then we step into this sacred 24-hour period where we remember, I am my beloved's and he is mine. I am the beloved of the most high God and he delights in me and he has decided to rest on me. And that does something to your insecurity. Because Sabbath becomes a day of delight where we remember, I am the, he, he loves me. And because I am the good work of his hand, he has come to rest on me. Because I am a symbol of his delight. And it drives out your insecurity. And can I say insecurity leads to all manner of sin the rest of the week. Your insecurity not dealt with, my insecurity not dealt with will lead to all manner of sin. It will lead to grasping and climbing over one another. It will disable us from service and taking the low place. Our insecurity will demolish the work of God in our lives. But we step into the Sabbath one day in seven. 
And the Sabbath drives out our insecurity because we remember he delights in me and he rests on me. (laughs) Listen, I don't know. I'm going to hazard a guess that you've all had the confidence kicked clean out of you by this world. But I am here to remind you today that you're his beloved. And of all the places his spirit could have rested, he has decided to rest on his church of which you are a part. And that drives out, that ought to drive out every other voice of insecurity. It's a day of delight that drives out our insecurity but it's not just a day of delight that drives out our insecurity oh sabbath does so much more than that i also think it ought to be a day of devotion that drives out our apathy that there's 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 something that's happening in the i love the modern day revival of the understanding of sabbath okay it's quite cool right now in christian circles talk about sabbath and spiritual practices i love it all okay i love it however a word of caution because I feel like Sabbath is at a risk of being polluted in our modern day understanding of it. Because in, in, a, in a desire to get rid of legalism, which is a good thing, legalism needs to die. It does not come from Jesus and therefore it's against what Jesus is trying to do. Legalism's got to go. And Jesus challenges that in the practice of Sabbath. But in an attempt to get rid of legalism, I think we've softened Sabbath to a point where it's not even recognizable. Because it's become just a day where I do nice things that I like to do. Now, should you do nice things that you like to do on your Sabbath? Absolutely. That delights the Lord that you're enjoying your life, the life that he's given you. There there should be a day where you enjoy the, the things that your labor has produced for you. Absolutely. You should do lots of things that you love on your Sabbath. However, if that's all it becomes, can you please explain to me how that's different to a secular day off? It's not different. And I feel like there's a bit of a war on for a biblical understanding of Sabbath. Because more and more I hear the rhetoric of people saying, oh, it's just, it's my family day, you know, and we just like to do nice family things. So, I mean, we, we, can't, we just can't make it to church all the time. Guys, hold on a minute here. The Sabbath is about the fact that God rests on us. But I just want to go and have a nice coffee and walk the beach and forget about Jesus. We've lost the plot. Because that's a day off, and you should have those two. But I want to say to you, that's not Sabbath. Because Sabbath is also a day of devotion. It's a day of devotion to the one who has rescued us and made us fit to bear his glory and his presence. It's a day of devotion. When you begin to read through some of the other uh, passages on Sabbath, Exodus 31 says this about Sabbath. Exodus 31, 16. It's a weird little verse. It can really trip you up. Exodus 31, 16 says, The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. And then this is the phrase that's a bit weird, I think. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. What does it mean that Sabbath's a sign? So when that word off in the Hebrew, when that word sign is used, it means that it's something you can see, but it's indicating something deeper that you can't really see. It's like it's indicating a deeper truth. It's pointing to something. So here we're learning that Sabbath is also a sign that points to something. So what does it point to? A sign of what? What does that even mean? Well, thankfully, Ezekiel is going to help us out because he picks up exactly the same language of Sabbath being a sign and finishes, fills in the gaps, I think, for us in Ezekiel chapter 20. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, it says this. 
Also, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between us. A sign of what? You ready, drumroll, please? A sign of what? So that they would know that I, the Lord, made them holy. Sabbath becomes a sign that I made them holy. The word holy there, Kadash, is used for holy things, holy places, holy people throughout Scripture. And it means set apart, saved for best. Set apart, saved for best. It's not really common practice, certainly among people of my age and younger. But do you remember, and maybe you do practice this, so I remember like um, my mum and certainly the generation before her again had like dinner plates that you used for hooligans like me. And then when somebody special came, the special china came down off the, you know, the board where it all was displayed, then that stuff, the good stuff came down. You knew how well you were liked if you got the good plates or not. And so because that was saved for special, you didn't use that for common purposes. That's saved for special. The other plates, they could be used for anything. Dog could lick them if they wanted. But these plates, you're not even getting it off them because they're saved for special. You know you're saved for special, right? Like, you know that you're saved for special. That when you give your life to Christ, he makes us holy. He sets us apart. He sanctifies us. He saves us for special, which means that your life cannot be given over to just any old common purpose anymore. It can't be given over to any old, your life, you can't give your life over to any old common thing anymore because you're Kadash. You're like a holy sacred space. Your life can't just be given over to common things. And so you may do life with lots of people, even people who call themselves Christians or profess the name of Jesus, who give their lives over to things that you just can't give your life over to because you're not common. You're, 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 when you give your life to Christ, the most, one of the most beautiful things that Jesus does for us, when any of us, the invitation is to all. And then when we give our life over, he saves it for special. He makes us holy. He sets us apart. The moment we say yes, the invitation is all come. And the moment you say yes, he lifts you and he saves you for special. And so that means that your tongue cannot be given over to talking about the same things that other people in your community or culture talk about. So when everybody's slabbering about the boss on, on Monday, I want to say to you, your tongue doesn't get to do that. Because your mouth has been saved for special. And that's not building the kingdom. You're set apart. That means that everything is different. You can't give your life over. I can't give my life over to common things. It means when everybody's watching that new series on Netflix that is full of things that dishonors the kingdom. You can't give your eyes over to that. Because your eyes are saved for special and your eyes have seen the holiness of God. Your eyes... Safe for special. You're a sacred space where God has chosen to dwell. You just can't give yourself over to any common thing. You're Kadash. And so what Sabbath does when we enter this 24-hour period, because it's hard out there to save yourself for special, isn't it? Like it is. Let's be honest. There are so many times where I find myself saying things and I'm like, like 20 minutes later, I'm like on my knees, Lord Jesus, I do not know why I spoke that way. Like I am not up here professing that I've got this together. We are a wretched bunch, a lot of us. But there's something that Sabbath does where we pause and we remember, I am a sacred space in which almighty God has chosen to dwell. So let's just check back through my week. 
and see where I have given myself to common things when the Lord has called me holy. And actually a practice I find really helpful is when I look back over my week, what I tend to find is there are habits that are unholy. So perhaps whenever I'm with a certain person in a certain kind of meeting that my mouth may say things that I would rather, I don't think it honors Jesus. And if I then see a pattern of that, I'm like, well, Lord, I need to break that. And so you confess your sin. Confessions are really biblical practice. Confess your sin to the Lord. Lord, I was in that conversation. I said some things that I think may have dishonored you in your kingdom. And I notice now that that's two weeks in a row where that's happened. So I I confess my sin. I ask you to break the chains that are existing in my life in that area. And now as I set myself forward to the next week, I am ready when I enter that same space with a different mindset. Because I'm ready to live holy in that space this week. Because I remember that even there I'm saved for special. And so I think it's a really good practice in your Sabbath to look back over your week and say, okay, where am I giving myself over to lesser things when the Lord's called me a holy sacred space? You are saved for special. God Almighty has chosen to make his home in you. That is no small thing. And I would love to see in my own life and in the church in this day, I would love to see a renewal of that understanding of what it means to be set apart. Set apart. Everybody's invited. But the moment you say yes, he just takes you out. And he calls you to something different. We've got to walk worthy of the calling of Christ Jesus. See if we're special. It's, Sabbath is like this day of delight that drives out insecurity. And it's this day of devotion that drives out our apathy. You can't be apathetic when you're in the holy. When you're aware of the holy, you just can't. It just drives out your apathy. It just does. It's great, it's great for apathy. Sabbath's a great tonic for apathy when it's practiced well. But I also think that Sabbath is like a declaration that drives out despair. It's a declaration that drives out despair. I find Jesus on the Sabbath fascinating. Go read the Gospels and you'll see Jesus on the Sabbath so much. I find Jesus on the Sabbath absolutely fascinating because he's going after all of this. So I want you to pull with you what we've talked about. If Sabbath is not just about resting from, but also resting on, that the Lord dwells in that which he delights that in creation, I want you to think about in creation, even as as God walks in the garden, the feet of God touching the thing that he created, the creator's feet on the place he created. (laughs) And feet is such a stupid word because it's God, like, but it's only the only words I've got. So he's resting on his creation right there in the beginning. And I want you to think, if that's what Sabbath truly is, then when we see Jesus incarnate, is there more of a fulfillment of Sabbath in his presence on the earth? The creator, who John is very clear in his gospel, was the word at the beginning. Through him, everything that has been made was made. Without him, nothing has been made that was made. So John puts Jesus firmly in the creation story. And now... The physical fate of the creator land on his creation. The first time that Jesus goes for a walk as a toddler, his physical feet 
touched the ground that he made. He is physically resting on his creation. It's the fulfillment of Sabbath longing because the creator is on his creation. And yet the Pharisees look at him and say, that's a desecration of Sabbath. I'm going to be honest with you as I always try to do. That terrifies me. Because I can tell you now those Pharisees were better educated in scripture than any of us in this room. Than all of us put together. I don't care how many degrees you have. These Pharisees knew the scriptures. And yet they looked at the fulfillment of Sabbath and they called it a desecration of Sabbath. And it just goes to show we ought to be very careful. We ought to be very careful. We need to constantly be bringing our theology before God and saying, have I got this right? Please change my mind if I have not. Because we can be in the scripture and completely blind to its truth all at the same time. So the Pharisees look at Jesus and they say, desecrating the Sabbath, desecrating the Sabbath, desecrating the Sabbath. Because Jesus just won't stop healing people on the Sabbath. He won't stop it. He won't stop it. He won't stop it. He, and it almost looks, when you read it, it almost looks like he's trying to make them mad. Because he just won't stop it. He is adamant. And the, the pressure around Sabbath practice is starting to build. Because the Pharisees, their argument is that's work. And Sabbath is resting from, but they don't seem to understand that it's also about resting on. And also when Jesus heals someone, what he's doing is bringing somebody who is outside possible rest. Their physical condition has made it impossible for them to sit in the fullness of rest. And he's saying, it's not okay for me just to sit in rest when you can't sit in rest. Let me bring you into physical rest. <laughs> it's the fulfillment of the Sabbath everywhere. Him healing on the Sabbath is literally the best thing. It couldn't be a better practice for Sabbath because he's bringing people into the rest that Sabbath is supposed to give. But then this is what he says. I love this wee story in Luke uh, where he's on the Sabbath and he makes this statement. So they're all getting really wound up about the Sabbath, so wound up with Jesus, so angry with him. And then in Luke 6, Jesus says this, Luke 6 verse 5, Jesus said to them, the son of man, talking about himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. This was created by me for my designs and purposes. I'm in charge of this. This is not in charge of me. I'm in charge of this. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And then they're watching. And it says they're watching because they want to accuse him. So remember what we talked about at the start, which hills you're going to be willing to die on? They're watching, they're looking, they're collecting evidence with which to accuse him, to drive him to his execution. So they're watching because they know there are sick people and they're trying to collect evidence because if he heals a sick person, he'll have worked and desecrated the Sabbath. In their mind, that's the way this works. And so there's this guy and he has this withered up hand. It's all curled up. And Jesus sees it. And the room holds its breath. What will he do on the Sabbath? And it says this, Jesus said to them, Luke 6, 9, I ask you which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And all of a sudden, the creation, this gnarled, curled up, 
bent by sickness hand starts to respond to the voice of its creator. Because when the creator touches down on his creation, the creation responds and nothing is impossible because he is the Lord of all of the laws. And so even the physical laws that function on the earth, he can speak into and creation will respond. Because the creator is on the creation and now anything can happen. So the Sabbath becomes a declaration that drives out despair because we remember that the creator is still on his creation and where the creator is on his creation, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And here's the thing. Not only does Jesus come to declare the beauty of Sabbath, but you are a declaration that drives out despair. You are. Because who rests on you? The spirit of the living God. Who rests on you when you get into your car and you drive out of here today? The spirit of the living God. When you go wherever you're going tomorrow, who rests in you? The spirit of the living God. I have been captivated in these last couple of weeks by this word Christian. Okay, I'm going to pull this to a close. Jesus Christ, right? Christ is not a surname. It's not like Charlotte Curran. It's not a surname. It's a title. The word Christ means the anointed one. The anointed one, because you see, he says, Jesus will declare as he starts his ministry, the spirit of the sovereign Lord has rested on me. Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me just for the crack? No. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for something. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do something, to preach good news. To see recovery of the sight to the blind. To set captives free. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news. To set captives free. To see the sight of the blind restored. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to do that. So Christ, the word Christ means the anointed one. Jesus, the Christ, Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, who the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon because he has anointed him to preach good news, to set captives free and to see the sight, recovery of the sight to the blind. And I just say, you call yourself a Christian. Many of you in this room call yourself a Christian. What does that mean? It has the word Christ in it. So what does it mean? You are anointed ones. Every time you say the word Christian, you are making a statement and a claim that because I am hidden in Christ, because I am covered by him, because I am set apart and made holy by his great and powerful work in his death and his resurrection, because the Holy Spirit is upon me, I too am anointed. You too are anointed. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon you. That is scriptural. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is not near you. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon you because he has anointed you. It's what Christian means. You're anointed. What are you anointed for? To preach good news. To see captives set free. To see recovery of the sight to the blind. You've got all of that wrapped up inside of you. So honestly, do we just go back into Monday and do the same thing we've been doing every Monday since the beginning of time? No, because we've been in Sabbath and we've remembered the spirit of the sovereign Lord's upon me. 
And I know that Monday might look exactly the same to everybody else, but I've remembered the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. So I'm just going to go and get on with that. And the problem is the enemy has so disabled our understanding of who we are that we are afraid to do anything. And I discovered this last night as my boys, we were out for the evening with friends and we came home and we just had a moment. I said, oh, this feels like a hotel room. So I've got big boys, like they're 14 and 12. But they, to be honest, they just didn't want to go to bed. And I wanted them to go to bed because of the clock change. But also they didn't want to go to bed. They weren't ready. So they came bounding into our room and the two of them jumped onto our double bed and they're like pushing each other off and fl- like teenage boys, all that jazz. And part of me like was going, oh, go to bed. And the other part of me is like, oh, aren't they brilliant? I just love being a mum. This is cracker. Please pull them off, but don't break anything. We're not going to any, any. And Craig Allen, you know, it's bad, but you want to see the Ulster Hospital worse. Right. So anyway, they're doing this, all this teenage boy stuff. And then something happened, and you see, as a parent, you've just got to watch for the wee moments, haven't you? And uh, Caden said something about school, something happening in school, and I said, and I thought I was being, you know, holy Bible teacher, pastor mum, and I said to him, well, son, maybe, you know, you just need to tell that person about Jesus, aren't I, aren't I, that's so, so good at me. And he looked at me like I was a complete idiot which happens a lot when you've got teenagers, let's be honest. He looked at me like I was a complete idiot, and he said, I tell my friends about Jesus all the time. I was like, trying to act cool. Of course you do. And what would that look like on an average every day in school, telling your friends about Jesus? I said, I don't know. Like, We're in RS, and they're just talking about things, and I'm just like, listen, guys, let me tell you why I believe in God. And then I just tell them all the reasons. I was like, right. And he says, like, I mean, it's just obvious. You just go in the next day and you say, I was in church yesterday. We'll hear what I learned. <laughs> and I'm choking. And I'm like, a little child to lead them. Ain't that the truth? How can my 14-year-old boy in a class where he some of his best friends are atheists, lots of them have different religions, many of them no religion at all. This is the, so we're not talking about a classroom full of, you know, it's just the cool thing to be a Christian. He has zero issue talking to them about Jesus. It it transpires, zero issue. How can he do that? Is it because he knows the Bible inside out and all the things? No, because it's because he's anointed. The spirit of the sovereign Lord's upon him. When he gave his life to Jesus, Jesus set him apart and he's anointed to preach good news. So can I just say to you, you don't need to know all of the answers and you don't need to know the Bible inside out to have a conversation tomorrow about Jesus. You are anointed to do that. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you because he has anointed you. And you see the moment that you figure that out, you are so dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. You see, if if the enemy can keep you with your head down thinking, nobody wants to know about Jesus. I don't know how to say it. I'm just going to get on with my work. I've got so much to do. You see, if the enemy can keep you like that, job done. You see, the moment you lift your head and you remember, I am my beloved's, he is mine. I am anointed and I carry the capacity to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ in my own way, in my own frame, with my own words, and chains will break and blind eyes will be opened opened the moment that you figure that out hope church craig i'm better watch out they're just a bit they're not going to know what's hit them